Chapter 4 The Beheaded Church Men never do evil so completely cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Blaise Pascal If the institutional church were depicted as a waxwork, the most appropriate image would be a body lurching toward you, seemingly animated but headless. The early disciples of Jesus thought of themselves as intimately connected with Christ as a body is connected to its head. See Romans 12, 4-5, 1 Corinthians 12, 12-14, Ephesians 4, 15-16, and Colossians 2, 19. Jesus, as the head of the body of Christ, was the leader, the one who made the decisions. He called his followers to live radical lives of active peacemaking, courageous nonviolence, limitless forgiveness, and other-centered love. Eventually, the institutional church severed itself from its head, and in the process became one of the most violent religions in history. The Crusades In 1095, Pope Urban II called for the Knights of Europe to unite and march to Jerusalem to save the Holy Land from the rule of the Islamic infidels. Just decades earlier, Pope Gregory VII had declared, Cursed be the man who holds back his sword from shedding blood. His wishes were coming to pass. Raymond of Agiles accompanied the Crusaders as a representative of the Church during the First Crusade. He documented the taking of Jerusalem with these words. Wonderful things were to be seen. Numbers of Saracens, that's Muslims, were beheaded. Others were shot with arrows or forced to jump from the towers. Others were tortured for several days, then burned with flames. Piles of heads, hands, and feet were to be seen in the streets of the city. It was necessary to pick one's way over the bodies of men and horses. But these were small matters compared to what happened at the Temple of Solomon. What happened there? If I tell the truth, it will exceed your powers of belief. So let it suffice to say, this much at least, that in the temple and portico of Solomon, men rode in blood up to their knees and the bridle reins. Indeed, it was a just and splendid judgment of God that this place should be filled with the blood of the unbelievers when it had suffered so long from their blasphemies. Although other crusades would be launched against Muslims, some church-sponsored killing sprees were directed against Jews and other non-Catholics who claimed to be Christians, such as the Cathars. The Inquisition Pope Gregory IX launched the Monastic Inquisition in 1231, establishing priests of the Dominican Order as a separate tribunal to root out heresy, accountable only to the Pope himself. In 1252, Pope Innocent IV sanctioned the use of torture in the pursuit of a confession from suspected heretics. The result was one of the most horrific realities our planet has ever seen. Systematized torture, all in the name of the love of Jesus. With license from the Pope himself, the supposed representative of Christ on earth, inquisitors were free to explore the depths of terror and cruelty. Because the Church believed that religious leaders should never spill blood, new methods of torture were invented to aid the hypocrisy. The rack, the hoist, thumbscrews, and water tortures were among the most common. Christian leaders also devised numerous other kinds of torture to inflict pain, often by slowly dislocating or dismembering the body. Pincers had to be white-hot so that the heated metal would cauterize the wound as the flesh was being torn open. Many of the torture devices used in the Inquisition were inscribed with the motto, Glory be only to God. One particularly gruesome torture involved turning a large metal dish full of mice upside down on the victim's naked stomach. Heat was then applied to the top of the dish by a hot iron or fire causing the mice to panic and burrow into the abdomen. 
This was not just a brief moment in time. The Inquisition and its church-sponsored terror lasted for centuries. Most of the damage of the Inquisition was done during its earlier years under the direction of the Grand Inquisitor Thomas de Torquemada, but for centuries a few people were burned alive every year as an auto de fe, an act of faith. The last victim of the Inquisition, a schoolteacher charged with heresy, was executed by strangulation in 1824. Witch Hunts Both Catholics and Protestants sought the death of suspected witches. Anyone who appeared to draw power from nature through herbs, who healed in non-conventional ways, or who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, could be accused of being a witch. Taking the Old Testament law as their guide, Christians believed that death was the only option for anyone involved in sorcery. See Exodus 22.18. And so, once arrested, women accused of witchcraft were rarely given any sentence but death. After cross-examination, a woman arrested as a witch was stripped naked to be examined for any possible marks left by the devil. All hair was shaved off and every inch was examined to find these telltale tokens. Warts, freckles, and birthmarks were, under these circumstances, considered certain signs of the woman's devotion to Satan. Witches could be held accountable for nearly every problem, whether personal misfortune, bad harvest, famine, or plague. Eventually, witches became the new scapegoats, a role formerly held by Jews. I think philosopher Roy Clauser speaks for many of us when he says, The history of religious institutions has been such an abysmal panorama of bigotry, persecution, and cruelty that I can see why it could lead someone to wish to be rid of the whole business. It would be nice to comfort ourselves with thoughts of how much religion has progressed from those violent times, but that would be a false comfort. Our violent attitudes have simply gone underground, or in some cases, have emerged in different forms. And as we saw in the last chapter, outright killing in the name of religion is still a reality in the world in which we live. In the time it has taken you to listen to this chapter, someone somewhere on the planet has likely died because of religion.